Good tidings of great joy. This is part three. I want to talk to you about the kind of people led to the birth of the Redeemer. And I don't need my uh, little marker for this text. Matthew chapter 2. Here's the familiar Christmas story. What I want to show you today is there's something completely unfamiliar in this that is so easily missed, and it's a precious truth. And it's what we think we know from the story that keeps us from hearing something that we need to hear from the story, all right? Matthew 2, 1 to 12, here's the story you hear dozens of times. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod, the king, heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. This is the news that turned Herod into a murderer. Thank you, sir. It's kind of the wrong one, but... When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet, quote, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd his people Israel. They're quoting from Micah. And actually, if you took the time to look it up, it's not the topic this morning, they're misquoting Micah. It's really an interesting Christmas story in itself. Verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go! Search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I too may come and worship him. Right. Nine. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding and great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. All right, there's the story. Everybody knows it. Now, keep it in mind. Keep it in mind. As I read to you a text, nobody reads at Christmas. The text is Isaiah. Isaiah 47, 10 to 15. These are much less comforting words, and I want to tie a link with them in a minute. Prophecy. God speaks through the prophet, speaking to Babylon. Babylon is being raised up by God to judge Judah for her idolatry and sin, but Babylon doesn't realize that. Babylon thinks she's just pretty great stuff, powerful, mighty. God speaks to Babylon. You felt secure in your wickedness, saying, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray. You said in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. I'm, I'm great. God says, but evil shall come upon you, which you will not know how to charm away. 
Disaster shall fall upon you, for which you will not be able to atone, and ruin shall come upon you suddenly, of which you know nothing. They don't see it coming. Stand fast in your enchantments and your many sorceries with which you have labored from your youth. Perhaps you may be able to succeed. Perhaps you may inspire terror. You are wearied with all your many counsels. Let them stand forth and save you, those who divide the heavens and, see that? Gaze at the stars who at the new moons make known which shall come upon you. Behold, they are like stubble. The fire consumes them. They cannot deliver themselves. This is God speaking. They cannot deliver themselves from the power of the flame. No coal for warming oneself is this. No fire to sit before. Such to you are those with whom you have labored, who have done business with you from your youth. They wander about each in his own direction. There is no one to save you. Pastor Don, what in the world are you doing? We don't usually think of those words from Isaiah at the Christmas season, but they do have strong relevance to the text I read, the familiar words from Matthew chapter 2. Because God, through the prophet Isaiah, gives this strong, blunt, discomforting warning of divine judgment that's going to come upon Babylon. These Babylonians don't know the role they're playing in God's plan. They're totally unaware of it. He's using them to punish Judah. Their might is just temporary. Their might is God-given, but they're not thinking about that. Isaiah tells them when their role is played out, God will punish them for their idolatrous practices. Okay? So far, so good. And then Isaiah gets very specific. What God really hates is the way they consult and listen to their magicians, that's the word in the text. They're sorcerers, that's the word in the Isaiah text, who, who look at the stars. They look to the stars for direction, for wisdom. You are wearied with your many counsels. Let them stand forth and save you. Those who divide the heavens, who gaze at the stars, who at the new moons make known what shall come upon you. So all through the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, in your Bible, God warned his people about participating with these, quote, not my word, abominations. So consider this. By divine decree, astrologers and those who consulted with astrologers were to be taken outside the camp, punished, put to death. Now, now, come back to our Christmas text in Matthew 2. We consider the visit of the magi, that's the Greek word, from which we get the word magicians. That's what the Greek word translated as wise men in many of your Bibles. That's the Greek word, magi. And there's no reason, other than the familiar carol, there's no reason to think they were kings. There are no kings. We get that from, we three kings of Orient are, but they're not kings. Actually, there's, we don't know that there were three of them. We conclude that there were three of them because of the three gifts, but there could have been two bringing gold, four bringing frankincense, six bringing... We don't know how many that came. 
What we do know is what they're called in the New Testament. Magi. They were not political leaders. They were not monarchs. They were magicians who served their kings by determining the wisdom of the stars and the planets. It's the very same word, by the way, used throughout the whole account, starting in verse 1, repeated in verse 7, repeated in verse 16. That's the word used, magi. In the New Testament, it's only used to talk about Simon the magician in Acts chapter 8. He's punished. Elimus, the false prophet, same word used to describe him in Acts chapter 13. So, I'm setting the stage here because there's a surprising truth. These three wise men weren't called wise men because of their natural intelligence or their university education. People came to them with their problems and dreams and questions. Well, you know this, Nebuchadnezzar has these dreams that trouble him. He calls his magi to come and look at the stars and the planets and tell him what his dreams meant. That's the same thing. God sees the wickedness of these three, we'll say three, gazing up at the sky, looking at the stars, and God actually comes to them, sends a sends a star to them that they can follow. He knows they're looking at the stars. They can't reach him. He will come to them. I said earlier, it's only our familiarity with this story that hides the the shocking edge of truth in the Christmas account. We've probably all read it so many times that we don't hear the truth that we need to hear. Here's the issue being dealt with in Matthew. What kind of people should be invited to the birth of God the Son, the Savior of the world? Who do you invite? Have you noticed the list of invitees to major historic events. Did you get an invitation to the funeral for Queen Elizabeth? Some people did, it's a, but it's a pretty short list. It's a pretty exclusive list. The inauguration of a president, the bigger the event, the tougher it is to get in. That's just the way it is. So think about it. If Jesus God the Son, creator of heaven and earth and everyone in it, if he were born into today's world, who would get invited first? And when I say invited, I mean invited by God himself. And why in the world does he invite these traitors in occult darkness instead of Martin Luther or Billy Graham? That's who I'd invite. What's going on here? Why are these soothsayers and astrologers heading up the guest list in Matthew 2? Especially when we've read, I could have read more, we know that God already considers these activities abominations. We need to think it through what God is doing here. I have two Christmas thoughts I want to leave with you, just two. 
One. God removes all the moral barriers between himself and mankind when he comes. Of course, sinners have to repent. Pardon for any sin is never automatic. But by inviting these pagan idolaters to himself, God demonstrates God demonstrates that when he comes, no one needs stay away because of sin. I said, no one needs to stay away from a blazingly holy God because of sin. Nobody. Think about it. If only the lovely and the clean and the beautiful were invited to the Christ child, we might easily get the impression that they were there because, well, somehow they're qualified to be there. And God doesn't want anybody thinking they qualify to come to Christ. But if he wanted to demonstrate as clearly as he possibly could that the Christ child is here precisely for those who obviously do not qualify, who have a whole stubborn track record of disobedience and displeasing God, then certainly he did the right thing in pausing that guiding star right over these lovers of darkness rather than lovers of light. What a brilliant move. It's forever indelibly recorded in sacred scripture. Hear it. You don't have to qualify to come to Jesus. He comes to us. He comes to us with our hearts that are bleakest and darkest. He seeks out the most stubborn rebels first. He takes all the initiative. Baby Jesus, of course, grew up, but this truth never left his heart. Self-righteous crowd, they could never figure Jesus out. You claim to be the Son of God. You say you're the Messiah, and you're always hanging around with the wrong people. What is with you? How can you expect us to take you seriously? And here's what Jesus said. And here's what Jesus still says. Doctor doesn't spend his time looking after healthy people. Just comes for sick people. That's why these wise men are invited to the manger. Here's Christmas truth in a nutshell. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, to keep anyone away from God's saving grace in Christ Jesus except their pride. Other than those who are too proud, my memories of my dad on summer holidays, we never had a car with air conditioning, ever. Had a Rambler station wagon, and I can remember sitting in the front seat of course, no seat belt. You just climbed over the seat, sat in the front. And I can remember my dad constantly with the window down, his arm, and some sunflower seeds singing, Whosoever will make... And he'd sing it over and over again. That's why these magi are there. 
Anybody can come. You can come. I don't know what your life is like. I don't know everybody here. I don't know how messed up you think it is. I don't know how unforgivable you think it is. I don't know how many of the mistakes you can't undo. I know this, you can come to Jesus and find grace and mercy and new life. Anybody can. I said there were two important lessons. That was the first. Here's the second, point number two. There's a missionary lesson here for, I say the church, I really mean Cedarview Community Church. We learn the Christmas story has to do with reaching our world with the same message of grace Jesus initially brought. True, all sinners must still forsake their sin and humbly, repentantly come. Everyone has to repent, but no one ever qualifies. And God forgive us if we give one outsider the impression that he or she must practice the kind of righteousness that only Jesus in his grace can give before they can come. God forgive us if we give that impression. We must invite and pursue and receive the stubborn, the unclean, the ungodly in the same way Jesus does when these wise men come. Oh, how we need that reminder, don't we? That reminder from the manger, Jesus came for the sick, the spiritually blind, the sinner, the unworthy. These aren't the people to keep out, church. These are the people to invite in, the people to invite in. The sinful, the sick, they need the great physician. Now, let me give you a little opinion. I can't show you this from chapter and verse, but I think it's an interesting tidbit. I find it interesting that this account, this most extensive account about the Magi, I find it interesting to remember that it was written by Matthew. I wonder if Matthew smiled as he scribbled these thoughts. I think he probably looked back with a glad heart as the Holy Spirit prompted his mind about those strange, exciting events around the coming of these astrologers. You see, Matthew, of all the apostles, probably rejoiced in their inclusion at the birth of the Savior. I think Matthew knew what it was like to be brought in from the outside. Jesus called Matthew. The New Testament says he was a publican, not a republican, a publican. He was a tax collector and in all likelihood, a crooked tax collector. A Jew working for Rome, extracting taxes from his own people and taking more than he needed to because he could siphon that off the top. Probably along the lines of Zacchaeus, that crooked little tree climber. Remember Zacchaeus? We little man, we used to sing. Now, I know he was short, but I think it would be sad for Zacchaeus to know that for 2,000 years, people were singing, a wee little man was he. That's Matthew. Matthew. He was hated by everybody, Matthew. For some reason, Jesus went by and said, follow me, Matthew. 
just come. There's more at the end of his gospel. Matthew, more than anyone else, Matthew records the great commission of Jesus. Try to picture his face as he writes these words. Go into all the world. Don't leave anybody out. You don't know who will respond. Go to the whole world all the time. Make disciples of everyone, everywhere. That's Matthew. He wrote about the Magi. I'll bet those words just burned a joyful hole right through his heart. Don't exclude anybody. Don't write anybody off. Get this done, Cedarview. Be as wide and as gracious as the Father was with those three early cultists. And as wide open in pardon, Don, as he was with you. Do tell them they must repent, but tell them anybody can. Anybody can come. There is a truth to cherish here. And we must never allow, especially at Christmas, must never allow its grip to loosen around our hearts. The church dare not ever give the impression that anyone must qualify for Jesus' grace and love. And the way we show the world that is by showing them they never have to qualify for our love either. That's how we got in. And that's how they get in. Ask yourself this question. In all likelihood... Would I have even invited these three astrologers to come to my church to worship Jesus? I think my Lord knows I have this tendency simply to rejoice that I've received God's grace. And that's why he reminded his disciples that because they had received without qualifying, they were to give and extend to those who didn't qualify. Don't people need this Christmas picture of God's reaching heart? The whole world has God wrong. The whole world has God wrong. The church has the same assignment as that first star. It just came and stood right over the place where the child lay. Just bring people to Jesus. Just bring them to Jesus. Everybody's talking about Santa. I was watching the news this morning, and there's all sorts of reports about Santa. And I'm being careful. I look around and see young people. We get so used to, if there's anything, if there's anything that reveals the world's system, it's this. Santa keeps track of those who are naughty and who are nice. We think in terms of merit when we think of Santa. That's all I'm saying. And I'm here to tell you Santa has it all wrong. This story of the Magi is God's wondrous Christmas invasion of grace just for the naughty because there aren't any nice. 
so the naughty can repent. The naughty can receive new life and a new heart. It's Jesus Christ, God the Son, man's only Redeemer, coming for the ungodly. Proved it with the very first invited guests, and his heart hasn't changed. And I would say to you, there's your Merry Christmas, my friend. There's your Merry Christmas.